0: The obsession with food, your weight, and your overall appearance. Is it healthy or is it an eating disorder? We are unpacking this hot topic today on Healthy Harmony. Welcome to Healthy Harmony, where we help you clarify and discuss health tactics to harmonize your life. I am your host and health coach, Jennifer Pickett, and today my guest is licensed professional counselor, Kristen Cairns. Kristen is a licensed professional counselor specializing in working with teens and young adults with eating disorders, depression, anxiety and those that struggle with body image, self-esteem, and self-worth. She has worked at all levels of care, from clinical inpatient to partial hospitalization. And now, she has an outpatient private practice in Dallas. She loves helping patients reconnect with their values and rediscover the freedom and joy that comes from living authentically and in relationship Kristen, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today?
1: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited.
0: This is such, a, it's such an important topic. And I think it is one that has all of us as parents just kind of leaning in a little bit closer uh, to, to hear the information that you're going to share with us today. So this whole topic of eating disorders. Do you think that eating disorders is on the rise? What's going on? What are you seeing?
1: I think that's hard. I do think that they're becoming more prevalent. And I think there's more awareness at an earlier age. And so I think parents and teachers and just people involved in these younger girls lives are recognizing it earlier and becoming more aware, which is a really good thing.
0: That is, that's a great thing when we're just becoming more aware and we kind of know what to look for, but how can you tell whether it is like healthy where, you know, someone is concerned about their health, they're taking those measures to take care of their health or it is an obsession and it has gone into that realm of being a eating disorder. That's
1: a really good question. So A lot of what I look at when I'm differentiating those is how much of your life is consumed by food and exercise and thoughts of those things. For my patients who are struggling with an eating disorder, they're talking like 80 to 95% of their time and their thoughts are consumed by their appearance, food, exercise, and things related to that. So it's far past the normalized, I want to take care of myself point.
0: Okay. Just that obsession. Do you think with the, and this is, you know, getting us into an interesting uh, area when, when it comes to um, all of our teens are on social media, Mm -hmm. we're on social media. Do you think it has made this obsession a lot worse?
1: Yes, because there's so much comparison there. Everybody shows their highlight reel where they look perfect. Their family's perfect. They're super thin. You can use filters and look better than you do in real life. And so people compare their reality to everybody else's not reality.
0: Yes. Yeah. I think it's made it just a lot, a lot worse. And I like how you put it earlier in my in my workings with clients and um, I'm working with with older clients than you are. um, But just seeing this kind of fixation on food Mm -hmm. and helping someone recognize that. Uh, but then seeing um, the freedom that comes about when they recognize it. And then they're kind of released from that and they're no longer fixated. And, uh, you know, I had a client recently who said, um, food does not have control over me anymore. I'm not fixated on the food. But it was that process of realizing that she was fixated in the first place. So where do you think that happens? What is that line where someone crosses the line of some healthy behaviors into eating disorder? Where is that line? And how do you think that happens?
1: I think it's really when it becomes the obsession and they lose control over it. And so in eating disorder talk a lot of times will say that there's a line that somebody with an eating disorder will cross that somebody without an eating disorder wouldn't cross. So there's certain things that I would not do to lose weight, right? Like I might say I want to lose five pounds, but I'm not going to do certain things to get there where somebody with an eating disorder will do pretty much whatever it takes.
0: Okay. So it's just that complete obsession and not having any kind of judgment that, hey, this could be potentially dangerous. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes. And it's more wanting that short-term fix. So when I binge or I purge or I take laxatives or I restrict all day, I feel better in the short term. Yes, it's not going to help me long-term. It's really going to be super detrimental to me hard long-term. Mm -hmm. But it's going to take away the negative feelings right now. It's going to numb the hard feelings that I don't want to deal with. And so it's going to help short term. And I want that.
0: Wow. So what are some of those signs that parents need to look for? These signs that their kids are exhibiting that would prompt them to say, "Okay, we need to get some help because I think this is an eating disorder.
1: Yeah. So I think parents and I tell parents often they need to be aware of any of those sudden changes of uh, their kids becoming more interested in diets, becoming really appearance focused and um, making excuses not to eat with other people. They're not always eating with their friends and they're not always not hungry. That's just not true. And so a lot oh, of those interesting lies that parents or kids will say that parents buy into because they believe that they're eating with their friends or they're not hungry. Or I think it can be easy to see those things as normal when they're often those early signs Um, wearing baggy clothes, looking in mirrors a lot, making negative comments about their body, weight changes, obviously, but again, parents tend to normalize that and say, they've been sick, so they've lost weight, or they've just been eating healthier and don't recognize it in the beginning. So I think some of those are the more subtle signs that actually often are indicative of a deeper problem.
0: So really trying to see those signs early on instead of waiting until it manifests itself into larger problems. Is that what you're saying? Yes.
1: And not being afraid to ask the hard questions and say, is this deeper? Maybe it's not. Um, But maybe it is. And we can catch it earlier. And treatment can just be done faster if we don't wait until it gets really bad.
0: And, you know, speaking as a parent, I think that's where it gets really tough sometimes is are we willing to have those tough conversations, are we willing to sit down and just talk? Mm -hmm. And I think with our crazy, busy schedules, a lot of times those good conversations are missed. And so I think for me, you know, as a parent listening to you, I think one of my takeaways is simply, okay, we've got to be willing to talk about this stuff and ask those tough questions. And obviously, our Our teenagers especially are going to not are probably not going to go right along with that. But to continue to show love and ask those tough questions and allow that time and space for good conversation. Do you have any um, examples of questions that a parent could ask to find out like what's going on in the head of their teenager Mm -hmm. or their child?
1: Yeah, I I think just. Being really open-ended with it, setting the stage for, hey, I have time. Is there anything that you want to talk about? Is there anything that you're anxious about or worried about? How are you feeling about your body? Especially in those teenage years when their bodies are changing a lot. Being able to have an honest conversation about what is that like for you? And letting them kind of open the stage. I find that too many closed questions it's easy for teenagers to give yes or no answers and be done if they're uncomfortable with it. If it's a more open conversation, they're more willing to go there. You are the so
0: time. right. You are so right. And I, you know, I've seen that in coaching. It's interesting because this is the what we what we call the coach approach, right? Uh-huh. The the counselor approach is asking those very open-ended questions. Cause if we ask if we ask the yes or no close-ended questions. We're not getting we're not going to get that information. Um, and I'm learning too, because I have teenagers is um, making sure they know that they can come to me and talk, but also giving them space to do so. And I've even given them the freedom to say, OK, hey, mom, I need to talk to you, but I just need you to listen And not talk. Mm -hmm. And that's hard because as a parent, I really want (laughs) to fix it. I want to fix it. I want to offer my suggestions and my advice and let's get done with this and move right along. But I know they have to have the space to just talk and feel heard. And so I think that's another good, um, you know, some good wisdom that I'm gleaning from you um, as we're speaking. So I'm curious, what made you go into this subspecialty of counseling?
1: So I knew from a pretty early in my career that I really wanted to work with the teenager, college age, young adult age range. So when I was focusing in my master's program, I took several classes just really dealing in adolescence and young adulthood, and eating disorders were something that came up a lot. I had some personal experience um, with just close friends and people really close in my life who struggled with eating disorders, and so I felt like it was coming up in a lot of different areas that I really just felt pulled towards, and it's something that's really common in the population that I love to work with, and it's becoming more and more common.
0: I'm sure it's tough to hear some of the things that you're hearing on a daily basis. And it is, it's heartbreaking to hear that it's becoming so much more prevalent. But as we, uh, as we look at our society, that's becoming so me focused, look at me, it's all about me right. and it's all about appearance. Um, I think, I think we're going to continue to see these numbers uh, just continue to rise. So Let's talk about this. As we talk about children and teenagers, um, how can parents instill that positive self-esteem and what are some things that they should not do? So let's talk about the positive self-esteem first. What are some things we can do to instill that positive self-esteem in our kids?
1: So modeling is a huge, huge thing for moms. Teenage girls and young girls look up to their moms as such a model of what it means to be a girl and to be a woman. And so do not be the one who comments negatively on your body. As a mom, your daughter cannot hear you say anything negative about yourself because it's so easy for a young girl to internalize. Okay, so mom places a lot of appearance or a lot of importance on her appearance and her body. So it must be important for me too. And if mom thinks that she's fat, I'm of similar size and shape as she is. So I must be fat too. If mom needs to lose weight, I must need to lose weight too. And even if you're not telling your daughter that, that's what they're hearing. Because they want to be like you. Yes.
0: And they're going to model that. Yes. Um, you know, I do. I see this a lot. Um, because I, I, again, I get so many clients with just that diet mentality. And it's what we've been taught. It's what society has really infiltrated okay. When it comes to food and nutrition, you know it's all about the diet. It's about, about this latest diet, and you know, uh, you know, losing weight and all of this. But I think when a child grows up in that environment with a mom who is constantly talking about her weight and her size and the diet that she's on, and it is in such a negative, negative manner that has a lifelong impact. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, going back to my adult clients, as we unpack this, going back to their childhood, I'm seeing a very common thread. And I'm seeing moms who were often on diets and talking about weight. And it was such a negative environment that that child grew up to have a lot of um, funny ideas about their weight. And this was such a negative experience that they have carried with them into adulthood. And it's a big obstacle when it comes to them getting healthy and really combining that physical health and mental and emotional health. Um, so it's just, I could not agree with you more. Um, so obviously the mom needs to, um, to really model that. What are some other things that, um, that parents need to not say or not do?
1: So don't make food good and bad. Avoid those labels of this is good for you, this is bad for you, this is healthy, this is unhealthy. There is some level of yes, don't eat cake for every single meal every single day. Like, I get there's a moderation in that. But to somebody with an eating disorder mentality, they tend to be very, very black and white. And so, if something is quote unquote bad, that is something that you can never, ever, ever eat. So, really modeling moderation and what healthy normalized moderation looks like is yes eat cake on your birthday that is normal to eat cake on your birthday sure. if you go to a yes. birthday party yes like those things are normal parts of life and it's not bad and more than that it doesn't make you a bad person to eat that. yes it gets tied to morality a lot that food does not make you a good or bad person and food is not intrinsically good or bad
0: I, I like how you put that. I think it's a very interesting conversation, you know, because we do, uh, we have made some foods good, some foods bad. Um, and that's that's not the case. But if we talk about health um, and we talk about true health, you know, it's, again, I think making foods good and bad ties into that diet mentality, uh-huh which is such an unhealthy mentality. I'm going to go on this diet, I'm, meaning I'm going to start this thing and then end this right. thing. And then I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. But I think what happens is that when we assign a food as being bad and then we eat that food, then we feel bad about ourselves. Exactly. Uh, so I think it's interesting as we have this discussion, I can't help but think about this functional medicine approach, that uh, approach that looks at food as several key things. Food is um, obviously fuel for the body. Your body has to have it just like gas has to be in the car to make it go. But fuel, uh, I'm sorry, um, food is also information, information for the body. So we look at what kind of information we're putting in. Food is medicine you know, can definitely heal the body and provide so many benefits, but also food is connection. Mm -hmm. So if we start to label certain foods as bad, is it going to interfere with our connection with others? Because we can't get away from the fact that we use food to celebrate. And so that is healthy. That is real. um, And it's just part of our world. So food is also connection. And I think that's part of it. So how could a family um, support someone? Um, You know what? Let me go back, Kristen, because I I realized something and I realized that we're talking about eating disorders and we've had this great discussion. I really want us to take just one step back. Please define some of those eating disorders for us and some things to look for. I think that would be really helpful for our listeners.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, when we look at eating disorders, we're typically looking at anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, and then this kind of lump all category that doesn't quite fit any of those other ones. So anorexia is primarily restricting your food intake. So you just don't eat enough. Bulimia is, can have periods of restriction, but there's also a compensatory aspect to it. So there's a purging after they eat, an over-exercise to get rid of those calories or laxative use, in some way you're taking away those calories. And then binge eating disorder is eating large quantities of food in a discrete amount of time, but not having a compensatory behavior that goes with it. So there's not any kind of laxative use, over exercising or purging associated.
0: Okay. Very interesting. Um uh what are, how could, what's the best way that a family could support someone going through an eating disorder?
1: Being open to talk is really, really big. So try to talk to them. Teenagers may not want to talk to mom and dad about what's going on. So I think that everybody should have a counselor. Um, I have a counselor. I think all mental health people should have counselors, um,
0: I think everybody should have a counselor. I (laughs) I uh, wholeheartedly agree with you.
1: Yeah. Um, So it can just be helpful to have that third party person that's not mom or dad to talk to. And if it is an eating disorder, getting somebody who specializes in eating disorders is super important. You would not believe the amount of patients I've had who have worked with counselors or therapists in the past who have said really, really triggering things with super great Um, intentions. So I get where they're coming Mm -hmm. from, but a lot of the things that intuitively seem like they might be helpful are very misconstrued by people with eating disorders. And so it is like any other mental health, something that you really need to fully understand and really specialize in to work well with it. So just find somebody who's close to you, close to wherever you live, that really specializes in working with eating disorders.
0: I think that's very good advice um, to, first of all, you know, listen, but also get help, get support. You're not going to figure all this out on your own. Um, And I think sometimes we have this stigma associated with getting help or with counseling. And we have got to get over that stigma because there's a lot of suffering and a lot of struggling that would is unnecessary if we would just you know, let down the walls and get the help that we desperately need. Um, And I have to say, I really agree with you. When it comes to eating disorders, this requires a professional who is highly skilled and highly trained and experienced in the area of eating disorders. Um, As a dietitian and a health coach myself, I have had people come to me and say, hey, Jennifer, um, I know so-and-so, they have an eating disorder, can you help with them? And my answer is always, that is not my area. That is not my specialty because I wanna make sure they get the help that they desperately need. And they've got the right dietitian, they've got the right counselor, and those folks are working together so that yeah. um, they can really help this, this client, this patient. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really glad you brought that up. It's such a big, hot topic. What are some, when it comes to eating disorders, what would you say are some of the misconceptions that are out there?
1: I think control gets thrown out a lot that it's just about control or they just want to be skinny. And while control is often definitely a part of eating disorders, that's not all it's about. It's so much deeper than that. And even more so than that, I think the appearance one is something that just is really inaccurate. Yes.
0: Interesting. So tell me more about that. Um, When you say that that misconception, um, are you saying that someone that is concerned with how they look, that's what this is all about? And they should just kind of get over it. Like, what are you saying there? Tell me about, tell me more about that. Let's unpack that. So
1: it's just deeper than that. Yes, there is an aspect of it that often starts from wanting to get healthy or wanting to lose weight. When we go back into eating disorder history, a lot of that started from I was 12 and I was playing on a sports team and it got really competitive and I just wanted to be faster or I wanted to be better at soccer. And so I wanted to lose a little bit of weight. Or I just wanted to feel better about myself. And so I went on this diet. But then it flipped the switch from being something that was healthy to being something that was so disordered. And that comes from a lot of deeper roots. And so a lot of times okay. there can be trauma involved with it. Trauma is really, really big with eating disorders. It can be just deeper feelings of inadequacy, lack of self-worth, um, desire for acceptance. You get so much praise and validation when you lose weight. And so just really seeking those positive, I get so many compliments when I lose weight and people tell me, and that becomes Mm, really addictive. And now it's not even about what I look like anymore. It's just about people pleasing and getting that validation and support, Um, positive coping skills. A lot of patients do not have coping skills. And so eating disorders just numb that. So whether you're overly full or you haven't eaten all day, all you can think about is food. And so it numbs that depression, it numbs that anxiety, and you don't have to deal with what's hard when all you can think about is either what you're eating or what you're not eating. It becomes that singular focus, and that is tangible, and it's easier than the emotional pain.
0: I think that, um, you know, as we look at this, it's that Uh, that question, what are we turning to, to numb the pain? And clearly with eating disorders, but even outside of those who may not even have that diagnosis, Mm -hmm. are we using food to cope? Are we using food to numb the pain? Um, And it's so important that people just get the help they need. Um, this has been just so, very eye-opening. Is there any other piece of advice or resources that, let's say you've got a parent listening to this podcast, and they're like, "Oh goodness, I don't even know what to do." But I, I'm, I'm seeing some warning flags, and I'm really concerned. What, what should they do? What's the best piece of advice you can give them?
1: I say if you're willing to have really open conversations with your kid about it, try to see more of what's going on. The NEDA website, it's N-E-D-A, and it's the National Association for Eating Disorders. That website has so much good information. There's a free quiz on it that you can take or your child can take to determine if they need help. And so I think that's just a good starting place because it really breaks down eating disorders in a really tangible, understandable way. So if you're trying to decide, do we need more help? That can be a good first step. Um. There's a book called Life Without Ed that especially teenagers, young adults can really relate to. It's written by Jenny Schaefer, and she's just funny. She's super easy to read. So that's a book that a lot of patients really relate to and like.
0: Those are some fantastic resources. And I really like that you pointed out that there's like a little quiz that would be very helpful in someone, you know, determining, hey, is this a bigger issue that we need to get some help with? Um, This has been so very insightful today. It's such a hot topic. I wish we had even more time. I know that you and I could probably spend a lot more time talking because there's so much here. Um, But I want to make sure, um, first of all, I just want to thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you so much, Kristen. Um, And uh, you're welcome. And I want to make sure people know where to find you. So give us your contact information so they know where to find you.
1: So you are always welcome to email me. My email is Counseling at gmail.com. I also have an Instagram, so you're welcome to follow that. So if you have any questions, I would love to just answer questions, talk to you a little bit. If you're just needing some help and some insight into this, please reach out. I love talking about this kind of stuff and I would love to be able to help.
0: That is awesome. And what is the name of your practice in Dallas? So uh, Kristen's practice is in Dallas, Texas, where she sees clients. And tell us the name of that it's practice. Kristen
1: Carnes Counseling. And I am at 75 and 635 in Dallas. So it's super easy to get to. It's off two major highways. So if you live anywhere in the metroplex, it's pretty central.
0: Okay, that is fantastic. Kristen, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Guys, also remember to subscribe to us on your favorite platform of choice on Facebook, on Instagram, at Inspire Healthy Harmony. You can also join in the discussion on Facebook as we unpack eating disorders. We want to hear your thoughts and opinions and your struggles. And also, you can always check us out on InspireHealthyHarmony.com. So until we meet again, I hope you have a healthy and happy day. Bye, y'all.